Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. Second one of the week this week, trade deadline week. So we wanted to get this one to you a little quicker than we, we normally do. And we also wanted to thank our, our friends at DraftDay.com. DraftDay.com is a new concept that offers short-term or daily fantasy sports games for real money. The concept is simple. You pick the day you want to play instead of fantasy lineup. If your picks perform well that day, you win. You can play for free or real money, and they award cold, hard cash nightly to the top-performing players. They've already awarded more than $10 million, and it's completely legal to play. DraftDay.com also has a new rapid-fire game that takes one minute to play with huge payouts. Just pick between a few choices of players and choose the ones that will score the most points. It's that easy. All you need is three of five correct to double your money. DraftDay is offering a special offer to Baseball America listeners, so be sure to head to DraftDay.com and enter the promo code BAPODCAST, and that will start you off with a free instant cash bonus. If you like free money, head to DraftDay.com and use promo code BAPODCAST. Thanks again to DraftDay.com. Because it's trade deadline week, we've got three of us here today. I'm J.J. Cooper, joined by, as normal, by Ben Badler, but also we bring in our, our trade deadline expert, Matt Eddy, uh, who trade deadline is, is kind of, uh, it's, it, you do trade central, so it's, it's kind of one of the big weeks of the year. I, I think we every year, you, you made the point, every year we get done with the trade deadline and we often say, oh, that was a pretty, pretty low-key trade deadline. And I think you make a valid point that, they always seem bigger in hindsight than they do at the time. But where do you kind of put this trade deadline? Is it a normal one to you? Or I know a lot of people are saying is a low-key one. To you, does this seem normal? Or is it you know, a little bit less amped up than normal? Uh, it's fairly typical. I mean, we tend to remember the big prospect moves. You know, the Zach Wheelers, the Carlos Santana, the Scott Casimir. But I think this is more standard fare where you have a guy... Uh, two guys, two position players, someone like uh, VCL Garcia and Mike Olt, two really rock-solid position player prospects, but maybe not front-line, headline-grabbing types. And then you throw in a couple of flyer pitchers. I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. We did go back, actually, and look. Um, at Jim, Our Jim Callis has, has done a, a top 10 prospects of the guys traded at the deadline the last couple of years. So this year, and we're going to talk about these guys, obviously, in, in more... Uh, in, in much more... Uh, detail before long, but this year we have on it, we have Michael, Aviso Garcia, like you mentioned, C.J. Edwards, mm-hmm. Jose Iglesias, um, uh, help me here. Uh, Those are the big prospect names. Yeah. Then you've got lower level guys, Dan Reed Vasquez, um, Josh Hader, these guys are in low A, right. Kyle so, Smith and high A. You compare that, so we went back and looked at last year's list. Last year's list included Jacob Turner, Jean, John Segura, Arroyos Vizcaino, Tommy Joseph, Christian Villanueva, Rob Brantley, Johnny Helwig, Ethan Martin, Ariel Pena, Jim uh, favorite Zach Cox, which, again, not my favorite, but Jim's. Um, but, uh, and then we looked back the year before, Zach Wheeler, who obviously was the name on that year's list, but Zach Wheeler, Drew Pomeranz, Jonathan Singleton, Jared Cozart, Robbie Erlin, Alex White, Joe Wheeland, Francisco Martinez, Brett Oberholzer, and Trayvon Robinson. <laughs> the point I, I think that really kind of stands out about this is, is that for some of these guys, this is going to be the highlight of the career. You know, they're going to get traded, and you know, we're, we're going to everyone knows about them now because it's a different world than it used to be. But not every one of these guys traded by any stretch of the imagination is going to end up turning out. No, definitely not. Uh, the trade deadline tends to be a little overblown for that reason in terms of fans expectations for prospects you know but so looking at this year though uh, again you know said so we have a, a a top 10 but starting with you ben and then we'll, we'll bring it here to matt as well but so ben 
what stood out to you? Who? What trade did you like as far as the uh, in terms of uh, the the prospects that are coming back to a team? I liked uh, like like you guys said, there wasn't any one guy who's like, wow, I can't believe they were able to pry him away uh, from from that team. I I liked like there really wasn't anybody who really jumped out to me as like, wow, like they really got him. That's that's great for them. I, I thought the teams that were acquiring the major league talent uh, for the most part did well to help themselves more so than anything else. I think with, with the prospects, um, yeah, you know, I almost more so than, than Mike Oltz, who I'm not that high on, but I think, uh, I think getting CJ Edwards was, was a really nice move for the Cubs. It seems like they were able to deal Garza early which I think some people think, oh, well, it, was, it was by design and, and they were trying to jump on the market early because they knew it was going to be a down market. I think that the reason they dealt him <laughs> was because they were trying to get uh, – they were trying to make trades early. Was They were trying to free up international pool money. Um, they weren't able to, uh, uh, to do that. But uh, I think that getting Edwards in, in that deal – was a pretty pretty nice move for them. I, I really like that move for them. So Matt, yeah, on the prospect side or the uh, the the team acquiring the major league talent, did anyone stand out to you as as wow they really did did well for themselves? Well, uh, the White Sox, kind of the the crosstown rivals of the Cubs. I, I really like Garcia. I'm probably the highest person here on Garcia. I think you know it's a five tool player with a 20 home run potential. Um, I, I thought that was a good move because you you don't. You you shed PV's salary next year, fifteen million from the books, and you get a cost control player for six years, who, you know, might make an All Star team once or twice. I, to me, I think we both talked about this. the The part in that trade, I kind of I understand it in some ways, but I, I do think that if you look at the Tigers part of that trade, that's the part where if you ask me, Avisel Garcia for Jose Iglesias, and like I said, I may not be as big on Garcia as you are, but uh, I'm taking Garcia in that trade. 10 times out of 10, mm-hmm. I do understand in some ways if you're the Tigers, what they're looking at is a situation where they have to get a shortstop. They feel like that their shortstop may be gone as soon as we're recording this on Thursday, as soon as this weekend uh, for 50 games. And they don't really – the sad thing, and we've talked about this in the office, the sad thing is, is the Tigers have a large number of glove-first, no-hit shortstops in their organization – they quite clearly do not feel that any of them are ready to help them right now. So they went out and got, and I know his numbers don't look like this, but the reality is, is a great glove, great glove, no hit shortstop who he's going to be uh, an, probably an offensive minus throughout his career. I mean, that's the expectation. Mm-hmm. And the question is, is, is his glove going to be good enough to do it? I understand why they do it that way. I understand there's like, look, we have to have a big league shortstop. Because we're in a, a pennant race, we want to go to the World Series. Still, that's an awfully high price. Whereas, if I look at it, the Red Sox, uh, I think of that and say, "Wow, you managed to get the the hottest month and a half of Jose Iglesias' career paid off into getting Jake Peavy and yeah. a couple of they, intriguing but long high risk arms in in the low minors." I, I do that trade oh, all the yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, the Red Sox did a great job of just really taking advantage of the Tigers' desperation, in my opinion. And, and the reality is, is I don't think Jose Iglesias fit in their long-term plans anyway. When you look at the number of third basemen and 
if you think Xander Bogarts can play shortstop for a while, right. which I do, mm-hmm. if that's the case, then you know I don't know what you think about it, Ben. But to me, Jose Iglesias, do you, did you see Jose Iglesias fitting into their long-term plans in Boston? No, I think ideally that what they're going to do is put Xander Bogarts at shortstop. His defense is, has, has, has gotten better. People just thought, oh, he'd be so big by the time he's you know, 23 years old that he's not going to be able to play shortstop by the time he's ready for the major leagues. Well, he's, he's going to be ready now, and he's 20 years old or 21 next year. And his, he hasn't gotten so big that you have to move him off. And his defense has, has actually gotten better. Uh, pretty significantly since he signed, so or even in the last couple of years. So I think they're going to try to put him at shortstop. I understand that Middlebrooks is, uh, you know, has, has had some struggles, but I think in a perfect world you put Bogarts at shortstop and uh, and you put Middlebrooks at third base and and you use Iglesias just just the perfectly the way they did. He hit really well early in the season and they sold high on him to help their, you know, assuming PV can stay healthy. Uh, for the next year and a half, and they had they got him for more than just uh, you know a, a couple of months' rentals. So I think that they they really sold high on Iglesias. Yeah, and I do think with that, I also think I think they're still going to have some interesting decisions to make at third base because Garen Chikini has kind of sped up his timetable a little bit to where he's got to start being in that discussion about their long-term third baseman, not Absolutely. just for 2015-16, but at some point maybe in 2014, which Maybe a little faster than maybe that was the expectation. Yeah, I think that that's probably a consideration for them too. Obviously, like you said, even if Middlebrooks can't figure out the strike zone, then uh, <laughs> uh, you know it'd be nice if you could combine those two players. You'd have a, a, a dynamite third baseman. But uh, even if Middlebrooks can't do that, you have uh, Chikini in waiting for next year. Yeah, but okay, so that's the trade. I think we again we say kudos Red Sox. We say, kudos, White Sox, in, and Tigers, okay. We understand it maybe, but not so much the kudos to the Tigers on this because I think in the long term it, it's probably a, a deal that, that doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't bode well for them over the long term. What's the next trade to you, that, that Matt, that stands out as far as uh, and, and kind of who's, who's a winner or a loser to you? I really like what the Orioles did, actually, getting three major league pitchers. You know, these these are not number one pitchers. They got Bud Norris, Scott Feldman, and they got uh, Francisco Rodriguez for the bullpen. I think um, at, for the price they paid, these are all great acquisitions because they uh, they won't have as much variation in their performance as some of the other pitchers that the Orioles might have been relying on. And, and the, really, the key thing is is that it's it's funny, but out of all these, the Orioles managed to make and probably as many trades, uh, or as a large a number of, you know, as far as bringing in guys who can contribute as almost anyone, and they did it from a pretty thin farm system, and they mm-hmm. did it without really dipping into that farm system too much. I, you, Nick Delmonico for, for Francisco Rodriguez, I think that's a reasonably high price for Francisco Rodriguez, but mm-hmm. again, Nick Delmonico, with this, we're always talking, as I see it, kind of, Especially with a guy who's still an A-ball. Okay, so he has, let's say, in Delmonico's case, let's say he has a 30% chance to be, a, let's say a 15% chance to be an above-average big league regular. I think that's a an unlikely scenario for him. Let's say he's got another 40% chance of being a big league regular. Again, that may be a little strong, but there's still there's a pretty decent chance. I'd say you're talking 40 50% chance that this guy's never going to be a big league regular. 
to trade that for a guy who you know is going to step into your, your bullpen and, and help it out. I understand those kind of deals. I, again, I, I don't, we were, we're baseball America, but you don't want to overvalue prospects to the point that you, you kind of eliminate the fact that there are, there is some risk here, especially when you talk about guys who the upside is not something where they're really going to come back and bite you. Trading Carlos Santana for Casey Blake that's stupid from the standpoint that the upside of that really can come back to bite you. I don't think – do you think that the Orioles trade, Matt, that they traded anyone here who the upside of them uh, – the Josh Hader is probably the one I can come back with the most, mm-hmm. that the upside could hurt them. I don't think there's any chance that LJ Hose, the upside of LJ Hose, is really right. going to come back to bite them. Generally, teams are pretty safe trading corner prospect, corner position prospects, unless they're A-level guys, you know, like a Prince Fielder type. And, and that fits the description of L.J. Hose, who was in the Bud Norris trade, of Delmonico, who you talked about, and uh, Feldman. They ended up trading Jake Arrieta, who had kind of run their course with Baltimore. Right. But he, he, with Arrieta, he may end up turning into something, but the reality of it is is that if he does, that doesn't mean it was going to happen in Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, he's looking more and more like a good setup guy than, a, than an impact starter. But to, to your point... No, I don't, I, don't, I don't ever fault teams for trading corner players who are non-elite prospects. You know, but so, Ben, I, I wanted to get your opinion on this. To me, if you look at a team that really kind of did itself pretty well as far as I could understand a lot of what they were doing on the uh, prospect acquisition side, quite clearly it seems like that the Cubs were really aiming at, okay, we need to bring in a, a couple more arms in this. With the Garza trade, with the Feldman trade, do you like – I mean – do you think that they that this is going to, to make any kind of impact for them long term, or is it? Am I uh, maybe uh, going a little too far on that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it depends on how Edwards develops. I mean, I think that's going to be a big key in in that trade. Obviously, uh, Oltz is you know, if he returns to what he was last year, I think that's that's obviously the biggest key for for that deal. Uh, but yeah, if, if Edwards can come along and and develop, but but it's again a lot of these guys who were in a lot of these deals. I thought that the I thought the teams like like Matt said, you know what the Orioles did. Uh, you know the teams that were you know giving away prospects. I, I just didn't see that much given away this year. That's you know teams are really going to regret losing. I don't think they <laughs> I don't think they were teams necessarily all, either acquiring major league talent. That's uh, you know at the, at the caliber of like a a CC Sabathia being traded to the deadline or, or somebody like that or Cliff Lee before, but just a lot of these guys are, you know, there's nobody who really jumps out to me as somebody, wow, like they're, they're definitely going to miss that guy at some point down the road. Right. And, and that is, it, well, if, again, that's what happens in a lot of these trades is you end up adding a, a guy who can help you and you don't, it doesn't cost you all that much down the road. One of the teams that's been in, you know, been involved in trades, Pretty much any time that there is trading over the last <laughs> couple of years is the Astros. Mm-hmm. And the Astros did, as you talked about, trade Bud Norris, bring back uh, LJ Hose, Josh Hader. And, and, and you, you look at them, it all fits kind of in what, what the Astros have done, which is the Astros have seemed like that what they're trying to do is, is they've built the depth of that system to a level. That, we're talking about a system that the farm system was probably the thinnest by far, in minor league baseball a couple of years ago. I do think it's pretty fair to say at this point that it's probably, I don't know if it's the number one farm system or anything like that, but I do think it's the deepest farm system in the minors right now. 
what did you, Matt, what did you see as far as for them? Do you think any of these guys they brought in are, are going to be a key part of their, their rebuilding effort in the next couple of years? Uh, they targeted lower level guys, uh, which, you know, obviously the probability is of, of them hitting higher is, risk, higher reward, higher risk, higher reward. You know, but what was notable too, I thought, was that they got two Venezuelan talents from recent signing classes in uh, Ronald Tor- Torres and uh, Dan Vasquez. Like this is the organization that uh, signed Johan Santana and Freddy Garcia right. and Bobby be- Abreu. They used to be the team in Venezuela. I don't know. That was kind of a cool callback, whether that was intentional or not. And they also, with their addition of Torres, no, they have cornered the market on the. Uh, second baseman who can't ride rides at the, you know, at six flags. <laughs> I mean, they, they have the short second baseman market absolutely cornered because they have obviously the patron saint of short second baseman in, in Jose Altuve. Um, although Dustin Pedroia, who's a little taller may, you know, may argue, but Dustin Pedroia is in the uh, taller category of that, but Altuve, they add to Reyes and they also have Tony Kemp uh, who they drafted <laughs> this year. So they have, Three of probably the five shortest second basemen that's, in the that's game. That's the Astros' organizational profile for right. the position. <laughs> but, uh, again, like with L.J. Hose, I, I'll ask you about, about L.J. Hose, Ben. I see in some ways why you know they, they pick him up. But to me, this is Hose is another guy who is most likely, in my mind, to be another guy they're kind of going to sort through. But I, I don't see him ever being a, uh, a long-term regular for them. Yeah, that's just – and it's – Part of it is just a product of who, you know, look at who they were trading. I mean, they're trading Bud Norris, who is, you know, is a solid major league starter. But if you're trying to trade him to a, a contender, you, you, you need to have him be one of your top three or four starters in your rotation. I just don't think there was probably much of a, a high demand market for Bud Norris. And that's why you end up with a deal where you're taking uh, LJ Hose and Josh Hader and and uh, a supplemental first-round pick, uh, probably because the Astros, I'm assuming, didn't see anything else in there that uh, that they really wanted to have. But yeah, I mean, with Hose, it's uh, you know, if if more power comes, I, you have a, a major league regular. But he, uh, I don't, I don't know that it's it's going to come for him. I, I like the the bat is very solid. I, I like his hitting approach. But uh, you, I don't think you can plug him in as a, a major league regular right now. Maybe in a few years if, if he gets stronger and, and that power starts to come. But I think more realistically, yeah, you are looking as a, at, a, at a bench bat right now. Yeah, he's a right-handed hitter with no power and no speed. But these guys are not starters in the major leagues. That's, that's a hard profile <laughs> to, to make it work. And, and that kind of leads to another team. You know, another trip we saw yesterday uh, – now, you know, the Astros traded away Justin Maxwell, mm-hmm. get back from the uh, Royals right-hander Kyle Smith. Uh, you know, I follow you're, you're the man of, on Kyle Smith. I was gonna say I, I follow a lot of uh, you know Royals bloggers and all, and 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 Royals intelligentsia, you know, uh, media and all, and and there was some seemed to be some serious outrage over <laughs> trading away Kyle Smith for Justin Maxwell yesterday. The the thinking being Justin Maxwell. Rightfully, I think a fair assessment is is that you're talking about a platoon outfielder, a platoon corner outfielder. And the weak side of a platoon. And the weak side of a platoon. The guy who, ideally, if everything breaks right, you probably should get about 200 to 250 at-bats a season. And, rightfully also, a guy who was who was waiver-wire chum in April. That's how the Astros got him, is, is the Yankees in their massive 
uh-oh, we've got to fill out a roster. They had 40-man roster spots were pretty much at a premium for the Yankees. Maxwell was not going to be on their opening day. Uh, he was out of options. And he was out of options. So, boom, you know, they cleared him off, and, and the, the Astros snagged him. Well, that's all true. When we get, but, again, at the same time, I, I didn't see – I don't see the outrage part of this from the standpoint of Kyle Smith. When you talk about profiles, it's another very tough profile. The man knows how to pitch. That he's got, he's got really, he's aggressive with average stuff. He's got a plus curveball. He's got a. If you want to be charitable, you could say an average fastball. But really, you could argue with what on the scouting scale. I mean, you know, you don't want to get all hung up on velocity, but on the scouting scale. You can make the argument that a 90-mile-an-hour fastball from the right side is average still. The reality is that I think the scale hasn't caught up to how much velocity has increased in the, in the minors and the majors. That a, a guy who sits at 88, 90, I know he locates it well, but you could really argue that's a 40, 45 fastball nowadays from a right-hander. And then an average changeup, if everything comes together, he could be Mike Leak. I mean, that's your hope. It does seem like that there is a, a lot of guys left alongside the, the road between high A, where he's pitching very well right now, and the big leagues who have that short right-hander, somewhat athletic, compact delivery, yeah. knows how to pitch, but really doesn't have uh, the velocity you're expecting. It's kind of the Chris Medlin, Ian Kennedy ceiling as well. Right. And the thing about it is... is those, that, those are long shots, but you know there are, there are examples. Right. There are yeah. examples. There are absolutely... There are examples... I do think one of the things you come back to with those guys is is that, and you know this is just maybe my personal opinion, but take it or leave it. But a lot of those guys end up having more erratic careers. Like Ian Kennedy at his best can be really good, but it's a little tougher for him to sustain that year to year. I do think than a guy who who has a plus fastball. Yeah, teams clearly favor velocity these days. You know, probably to give the pitchers a margin of error when combating these power. The hitters are going up there looking to. To pull the ball with power. And the other thing is, is that when you have a starter who has plus velocity, I think we've seen established now t- almost time and time again that the fallback position for that guy as a reliever is much more than than a guy say you know who has stuff like Kyle Smith. Who yes, okay, Smith may gain a tick when you put him out of the bullpen, but that gaining a tick is going to give him a 91, 92 mile hour fastball, and he's a fastball curveball guy. That's not really the the average profile. Of, a, of an arm coming out of the pen now, that's a little, you know, that's not as much of a fallback as it is for a guy. And we've seen some of the worst starting pitchers in the majors in recent Luke Hochaver probably was the worst starting pitcher to start the whole, you know, over the last couple of years. I mean, if he's not, he's in the discussion. He goes to the bullpen. He's pretty good now. Mm-hmm. Wade Davis has been really bad as a starter this year. Wade Davis was really good as a reliever last year. Yeah. You know, I just brought up two Royals. Like I'm, I need to think of an example of a non Royals guy, but. That it's it's a lot easier for a guy, a starter with velocity, to make that move to the pen than it is a guy who doesn't have that velocity to make that move to the pen. Yep, it's just the preference of major league teams. Yeah. Right, and so that's one of those deals. I think that in the end, it's going to be one that we don't really remember all that significantly, one way or another. You you're talking about Maxwell. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Maxwell's no. I, I don't think Maxwell's ever going to be any. You know, but. I think Smith has probably a, a 30, 40% shot to be a, a number four, number five starter. That's, you know, that maybe, you know, you can say that that's worth that or not. It depends on your valuation of, of how important it is to have guys who you know are going to help, are going to be on your big league roster compared to guys 
who may be on your big league roster down the road. Mm-hmm. But well, before we wrap this up, Matt, any you know what other trades stood out to you that you, you want to discuss today? Uh, I thought the the most interesting theme was probably just the fact that most of the buyers were American League teams. The Dodgers were the only team. They got Ricky Nolasco from the Marlins. Other than that, the teams who added veterans were the Orioles, the Yankees with Alfonso Soriano, uh, the Rangers with Garza, the A's with Alberto Callaspo, the Tigers, they got Jose Veras and Iglesias, who we talked about, and the Red Sox, they got PV and uh, Matt Thornton. I think part of that is, is that the, the AL is a lot more unsettled right now than the NL. I mean, you look at the NL, and in the East, we're pretty settled at this point, aren't we? I mean, the Braves are so far up, I don't see the Nationals turning this around at, at this point. It's hard to imagine they do, and they did not make any moves like they were trying to. Uh, I'll ask you, Ben. You know, they got Scott Hairston. Okay, yeah, sure. Okay, you know, but I look at the AL as way more unsettled at this point as far as what's going to happen than I do the NL. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the the NL is pretty much wrapped up in the East. Yeah, I don't I think, think the Nationals have talent and are just completely underachieving. Um, yeah, I think you look at the AL, pretty much all those three divisions in the American League are, are up for grabs. Again, I, I think teams, you know, wanted to upgrade. I think, you know, the Pirates wanted to, to trade for a bat, but they're just, just, there's nobody or maybe even an arm for, for an upgrade, although I think their starting pitching has been pretty good this year. But I just, I don't think, I don't see where the upgrades are, are available on the market. And I think you just saw that reflected in, in the guys who were traded who are, you know, at best, you know, number three or, or, or back-end starters or kind of, you know, uh, just kind of, you know, back of the bullpen. You know, really, like like Jose Veras is, he's okay, but <laughs> that's not like a, it's not really a guy you want as a, as a closer year in and, and year out. I, I thought the Astros uh, did pretty well to get Danry Vasquez, a guy who, could potentially be a starter for him, but but for the most part, it's just uh, the guys who were on the market just weren't that impressive for teams to jump out and be willing to part with some of their better prospects. And I, I did also want to ask you, Matt, how much do you think, we saw some trades last year, so maybe this is not a, a, as much a factor as I think it is. I do think that the change in compensation rules does lead to less deals at the deadline because, I mean, with two things. The addition of the second wild card and on top of that, the uh, the new compensation rules, which mean that any player traded in their final year, in season, of the final year of their deal, you're not getting any compensation for them if you acquire them. <laughs> so, like, so if you have a guy who's who you are who is good enough that you're going to possibly make a qualifying offer to, you're weighing, okay, I can either get a first round pick for this guy or the trade. Whereas if you're a team acquiring them before you always knew in the back of your head, hey, offer arbitration to this guy and we're going to get a pick for him. You compare that to now and you say, we know if we get this guy, we're just watching him walk for nothing at the end of the year. Yeah, the classic example of that is the Angels last year when they traded for Zach Greinke. They gave up Gene Segura to get him. Then they watched him go to the Dodgers with no draft pick compensation. And then they went and chose to spend that money on Josh Hamilton instead. So that was a very, very unfortunate chain of events for the Angels. Right, and that's to me that does again reduce the 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 market. I, I, the other question I, I'm going to throw it out to both of you. I guess Ben, you start off, then Matt, you can follow up. Do we need to move the deadline back now? Because with the second 
I think there's a pretty fair argument that can be made that with the second wild card, July 31st is just a little little bit early for most teams. The Astros, they know they're out of it. The Marlins know they're out of it. But there are a lot of teams that if you moved it back to, say, August 15th might be out of it, who it's from a financial standpoint, you can't even admit that yet from ticket sales and all that. July 31st is just maybe a little too soon now with the second wild card. What, what do you think, Ben? Uh, I'm kind of indifferent to the point of saying I just leave it where it is right now. And it's really up to the, like, we just talked about like the Royals and, and that deal that, that they made for, for Maxwell. Really the bigger issue is why are they not selling? <laughs> that's why, a whole podcast. <laughs> why? I mean, I don't understand what they're doing like that, but that's, that's really on the team to make that decision for themselves. I mean, the, the way to, for them to get to 90 wins, uh, uh, I think I tweeted it out the other day. I don't know what the numbers are now, but they have to go like 37 and, and 20 or something like that. The rest We're talking of the about team that's going to straight now. Ooh. Yeah, and and the Tigers will basically just have to play 500 ball to get there the rest right. of the way. That, so, that is the, the funny thing is is that like there's been a lot of talk of, you know, okay, the, the Royals decided they're in it because they've gone on this hot streak and they've won, I, I believe, when we were walking in here, they were getting ready to finish up their eighth straight win. The funny thing is is that when that winning streak began, they were eight games behind the Tigers and I believe four and a half or five and a half behind the Indians. As of having won eight straight, they're now, I think, seven games behind the Tigers and they haven't gained a thing on the Indians because those two teams have also gone on massive winning streaks. So, yeah, it's one of those things. Well, the one to me, if we're picking out teams that I really can't fathom how they didn't make any moves, is the Mariners. The Mariners have made a youth movement again this year. They're, they're on youth movement 2.0. It's working out pretty well for them. But they have some veterans who they're not offering a qualifying offer to Raul Banyas at the end of the year. I think that's fair to say. You know, I, I'm surprised that they did not make some moves because they have players who are not part of their long-term plan, who are they're not going to get compensation for, but they sat it out, and I don't think there's any way that you can say, in, especially in the AL West, that they're in it. That's a fair point. I mean, what did they have to, you know, we saw the, they cal- the, cal- they, they saw the caliber of players and what they went for. I mean, Michael Morse? Okay, Mor- Morse is the one guy. I mean, to me, and maybe they couldn't get an offer that was even pennies on the dollar. But but to me, they did have some players who would have some value. I, I think that Abanez is a guy who, has some value to some team as you know again if justin maxwell can get you kyle smith raul banyas can get you more than that yeah if the yankees didn't have travis hafner maybe they'd say come on back yeah come on back <laughs> you know we, we remember you, you you've been good at the playoffs so <laughs> yeah so to me I, I don't see you i don't think you have to move the deadline back you can still make waiver you know you, you still have the the waiver deadline after this to me, it's it's just about the teams have to realize what position they're in. <laughs> so I mean, why I don't understand? Like, why aren't the Royals capitalizing on Irvin Santana's big year? Why are they trying to go for it now? But that's that's up to the team to make that decision. I don't think I don't think that it's up to MLB to try to create more trade deadline excitement. I think it's up to teams to make better decisions about their own rosters and where they are right now in the. Pres- and the chances that they have to make the playoffs, I, I think the deadline is is fine where it is right now. You know, if they move it back, I don't I don't think it's a a big deal. But really, it, it's about teams 
making the right decisions about where they are. What, what do you think, Matt? I can see the case for moving it back a little bit, but um, I, I don't feel strongly about it. No, it's one of those, yeah. I mean, I don't think it'd make a massive difference because the reality of it is, is that a lot of these times these trades are hard to make because of the, the contracts involved. Yeah, I think it's generally good that teams you know, keep the best players and, and actually try to win games instead of just throwing in the towel. Well, and, and Ben, you tweeted out, and I think it's true, a lot of what also has kind of it takes away from the trade market is is that which is good for baseball is that there's the Marlins may try to argue otherwise, but there's really not a team in baseball. There's so much money in baseball now that it's become a lot easier for teams to retain their top players. Andrew McCutcheon re-ups with the Pirates. You know, you see moves like that where so we're not in the situation where teams are are nearly as much stuck with oh okay we got to get rid of this guy so we have some chance to get something back for him. Teams that have a realistic shot of keeping their best players, and with those guys locked up now, often two, three years before free agency arrives, there just are less. There's less inventory on the market of guys who are, again, what you both I think rightfully have pointed out, guys who you look at and say that acquisition can really help you in the playoffs. That's the starter, starting pitcher who's going to pitch in your playoff rotation. That's a reliever who's going to pitch key innings for you in the playoffs. Less of those guys are available because most of those guys have been locked up and are staying with the uh, the team that they were you know originally signed with. Yeah, I think only Garza and Peavy fit that description among, right. among this year's. Right, and, and <laughs> most of the guys now you you just you, you don't those guys are locked up. Hmm. Uh, one more team, and before we wrap this up, I did want to ask both of y'all: Were you surprised all the Cardinals made it clear that they weren't going to make any moves? Were you surprised that they didn't? weren't maybe a little bit more aggressive to try to add, say, a shortstop or, or something? Because they obviously have inventory as far as guys that could they could trade for. Um, I, you know, it's hard to say. They were pretty quiet last year, too. All they went out and got was Mujica for Zach Cox. Uh, the year before, well, the year before they were busy because they traded Colby Rasmus. And that's when they brought, brought back Zepchinski and Jackson and, and, and then, then for call in a, in a separate trade. So, you know, past precedent, I don't know. I, any, any opinion, Ben? Uh, I mean, I think they're committed to uh, to what they have right now. I think that what ha- what the problem is what Molina getting injured right before the deadline was just terrible brutal. timing. I mean, uh, I think they were probably trying to scramble a little bit for there. Uh, we heard uh, Navarro, Deanna Navarro's name mentioned a little bit, but. Um, it's just like you look at like like what's on the like were they gonna trade for Jose Iglesias? I mean, uh, trying no. to get involved there. It's just, I, there's just there's so little available on the market. Obviously, the Cardinals have the prospects to get a deal done, but who? I mean, who's out? Like, what kind of shortstop? I mean, Alexei Ramirez. I don't see him as that big of an upgrade right now. Look at what he's done this year and and the last couple of years. I don't see him going in the right direction. I wouldn't want to give up too much for him. I think they have a good enough team, uh, you know, even with the, a couple of holes, obviously a bigger one if Molina's going to be out for any significant amount of time. Uh, that's something they probably, I'm sure, certainly weren't expecting. But I think they're just going to say, look, we're, we're going to go forward and that's going to be a weakness and we're not going to overpay for 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 something on the market that's really just going to be a, a marginal upgrade because there's just – there's just not much available. No, I, I think I, I do understand somewhat their idea of 
we're not going to make a trade unless it's going to make significant impact. And it didn't seem like there was the inventory out there to, to really make a deal. Teams seemed to swing for the fences and try to do it. Uh, it seemed like that there was people calling to see if, if Stanton could be pried away from the Marlins. seems like the answer was no. There was talk of, okay, everyone on the Angels, except with the exception maybe of Trout, was available at a, <laughs> the right price, but the right price couldn't be found. You know, there was a lot of that out there. But, yeah, I mean, those deals are really hard to make, especially when you have a deadline to, to kind of put those together. Well, guys, thanks for, for our trade deadline uh, breakdown. Thanks again also to our friends at DraftDay.com. DraftDay.com is a new concept that offers short-term or daily fantasy sports games for real money. The concept is simple. You pick the day you want to play instead of fantasy lineup. If your picks perform well that day, you win. You can play for free or real money, and they award cold hard cash nightly to the top performing players. They've already awarded more than $10 million, and it's completely legal to play. DraftDay.com also has a new rapid fire game that takes one minute to play with huge payouts. Just pick between a few choices of players and choose the ones that will score the most points. It's that easy. All you need is three of five correct to double your money. DraftDay is offering a special offer to Baseball America listeners, so be sure to head to DraftDay.com and enter the promo code BAPODCAST, and that'll start you off with a free instant cash bonus. If you like free money, head to DraftDay.com and use promo code BAPODCAST. For Matt Eddy, for Ben Badler, I'm J.J. Cooper. Thanks again for the download of this edition of the Prospect Handbook Podcast. We'll be back next week uh, talking prospects as we always do. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. See ya. See ya.